Well, this is the Social Leader Podcast. My friends, social leadership is an emerging synthesis of leadership best practices, trauma-informed and diversity-centric approaches, and a social entrepreneurial mindset. Social leaders are entrepreneurs and founders. They are faith leaders, innovators, volunteers, and visionaries from literally every single walk of life. Social leaders are those people in our communities who are trying to move beyond charity sprinkles, but trying to diversify and bake that priority into the cake. Social leaders, therefore, are, I think, the most important leaders of our day because they are striving to learn to lead with greater social impact and to change our world. Welcome to this episode of the Social Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Father Justin Matthews. And hey, real quickly before we begin, I want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by Reconciliation Services. Our mission is to cultivate a community here in Kansas City that is seeking racial and economic reconciliation in order to transform Troost Avenue from an economic and a ra racial dividing line in our community into a gathering place of healing for all. So you can find out more about the work of Reconciliation Services at rs3101.org. You can even support our work and get involved. Well, today I am super humbled and excited to introduce to you my guest, Mark Donovan, who is the president of the KC Chiefs, Go Chiefs. He is entering his 22nd year as uh, a member of the National Football League, his 12th season here in Kansas City in 2020. And Mark was named the fifth president in the history of the Chiefs organization. As president, he is responsible for every single aspect of the Chiefs operations. He reports directly, of course, to the chairman and the CEO, Clark Hunt. He is a father. He is a husband. He is an active member of the Kansas City community, both philanthropically and in many leadership forums. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to just start by learning a little bit about your leadership journey, a little bit about where you came from. I know you're a, a PA native, but walk us through a little bit about your journey and how you got here to Kansas City. Well, I've been very fortunate. Um, I, uh, I often say when asked questions like that, that I've been blessed with a number of um, really special opportunities. Um, and it's funny, when I talk to my kids about it, I, I talk about taking advantage of those opportunities and feel like I did a pretty good job of trying to take advantage of every one of those opportunities. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, had one of the first blessings I had was the opportunity to play football in in Western Pennsylvania, which is um, part of the culture of that area of the country and got to see and experience all that comes with that, the good and the bad. Um, but that gave me the opportunity to go to Brown University, a school that I probably wouldn't have got in academically without my football abilities and leverage that opportunity to get into a school that um, was a huge challenge uh, for me academically, but one that, again, I embraced and found a way to get through and, um, and really, you know, thrived in that experience and relationships I created there. And then spent a number of years out of football. Um, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to be a free agent quarterback with the New York Giants in the late 80s. And, you know, a lifelong dream to be able to be on the same football field, actually competing against Lawrence Taylor and Phil Sims and great coaches like Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick and just experiencing that and taking that all in. Um, I like to say that I retired from the game 
about a week before I would have been cut. So I can say I walked away on my own terms. But uh, wow. I uh, I always wanted to be in football, and that sort of was the ultimate experience and just seeing the power of that league and what it could be and, and the opportunities it creates. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I went to this uh, great school. But when I left the Giants, I, I was looking for a job, and uh, I really couldn't afford to live and work in sports. So I went to work for a consulting firm in Boston, like most of my college friends, and had great experiences for about three or four years, and then decided that I wanted to do what I truly loved, and that was to be involved in sports. And you know, my dream was to work in the NFL. It took a long, windy trail of different opportunities, some most having nothing to do with the NFL, but um, I took about a 50% pay cut, left my consulting job, went to work for a company in Chicago, got great experience, worked in a bunch of different sports, then started an agency in Atlanta, Again, nothing to do with the NFL, more to do with NASCAR and the Olympics. Um, Then I got hired by the National Hockey League in in New York and really sort of cemented my opportunity to work in professional sports and then um, ultimately got the opportunity to work in the National Football League for the league office in New York. Um, I need to put a plug in right there, by the way. If you still have NHL connections, we need a hockey team in Kansas City. (laughs) Can you work on that? A lot of people have asked me about that. uh, We need some help. I remember watching some hockey. I think it was the Blades when I was growing up in the 80s or or early 90s, whenever they were here. I miss hockey. We need some hockey in Kansas City. Yeah. Well, you know, Lamar Jr. is doing as much as he can with the Mavericks and with youth hockey here in Kansas City to try to grow that. Um, And hopefully that platform will help grow the opportunity to bring an NHL franchise. It, It is a fantastic sport, as you know. Well, um, we've got football, we've got, you know, we've got soccer, we, we need hockey, we need a couple of other things. Well, I want to go back to you, though, because your journey has sort of wound around a number of different things. You had this amazing uh, opportunity to play at a pretty amazing time during football, and then you've gone on into business and business leadership, and eventually you've landed here in Kansas City and went from being the COO to now being the president of the Chiefs organization. First of all, I don't think people realize how big the business of sports is and how important it is to area development, like the ADC and the regional development. Give us a picture of the impact of sports, particularly the Chiefs franchise here locally and its impact on development, recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that often gets overlooked. Um, You know, the, the value and the impact of having a National Football League franchise in a community especially and specifically a community the size of Kansas City. Um, It's an enormous asset. Um, And I I believe, and there are facts and figures that will prove this, that it really is a driver uh, to the economic impact in this this region. Um, It makes it easier for people to recruit. It makes it easier for people to retain. And especially when you're successful, um, you know, it just draws so much attention to the region that can be leveraged in so many different ways. So we work very closely with the chamber, with the civic council, with the EDAC um, to try to leverage that to make Kansas City a better place. Well, I think you all are doing a great job. And certainly this is an incredible time that we're living in and unprecedented. I'm glad that we're even going to have some football coming up. In fact, we're recording this just literally hours away almost. Thursday is going to be the first game of the season. Can can I beg a prediction from you? What's going to happen on Thursday night? Well, first and foremost, uh, the goal is to win, right? Um, right. Our head coach has a great approach to this, which is all we're focused on right now is winning the game on Thursday. 
Um, so that that is the goal, and and that is my hopeful prediction uh, that we walk away with a win. The second big objective, which is you know it's interesting, it, it's always this objective, but it's even more highlighted right now, is to do it safely and to do it safely not only on the field but importantly off the field as well, and keep our fans safe and do it in a way that they can get some normalcy back in their life in this crazy world right now. Um, we know that the television ratings are on pace to be uh, an all-time record um, just because of the pent-up demand that's out there and the fact that yeah. we won't have 60,000, 70,000 people in the stadium. Um, but we're excited. Uh, we're confident in our plan, and, and we're hopeful to have a great night on Thursday night. Well, I'm hopeful, too, and I'm going to have my Rotel dip and my kids and my big screen TV, and I'm going to be rooting on the Chiefs. So I want to ask you about that, though. Has your leadership style or even specific practices, have they changed at all in the midst of the pandemic and especially during the social unrest that's been having um, such an impact on our communities and on NFL football? Yeah, it's been a challenge and it's challenged leadership. It's challenged um, management. It's challenged uh, doing the things we want to do in an efficient way. Um, but what I've found in going through this process is it just it comes back to the fundamentals. It comes back to being authentic. It comes back to uh, listening, communicating. Um, and you know we've been in this for a long time now as an organization, and we're we have faced unprecedented challenges in terms of how we do things. So uh, our training camp completely flipped upside down and done it in a way we've never done it before. And if you've heard me in the past talk about training camp, it is a critical moment in our season cycle. And we, we literally look at every single rep in training camp as extremely valuable. We can't lose a rep because of some operational issue, anything that you know causes a, a change. We need to be able to be efficient and get through every single rep. And you throw COVID and you throw protocols and you throw changing the way you do things on top of it, it, it makes it really difficult. Yeah. But I go back to those fundamentals. Um, what I've found in this process is you got to listen harder. You got to listen more. You got to communicate a lot more. And Zoom calls are a whole new world, and some people are getting really good at it. Um, we, Our team has been amazing through this whole process. Um, but I would say this, and we had a meeting a couple weeks ago where I just sort of bluntly said to the, the senior team, we're starting to show some cracks, and we're starting to let things fall through the cracks because – we're not collaborating like we are used to be able to. And some of that collaboration is a simple fact of just popping your head in a doorway. Some of it's just being face-to-face -face saying, hey, do you have that covered? Did somebody communicate this to them? And when you're on Zoom calls and you're scheduling calls in order to do those things, it gets real efficient, inefficient. Um, so we've, we've sort of re redoubled and, and really focused on, okay, we, we got to just double down on the amount of communication we have and make sure that we're letting the political stuff go by the wayside. Don't let those distractions work in right now. Let's just stay focused on what we need to get done. Well, and it's an interesting time right now. And we're going to get to some of those political issues in a minute. But, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes, for example, I mean, he is the face of the Chiefs organization right now, maybe the face of a changing NFL, uh, you know, in this whole season. And I know that you know from leadership, both in football as well as in other places as a consultant, that every time you bring on a new team member or every time a new team member advances, that the culture of a whole organization shifts, even, even outside of what's happening around the organization. Um, talk to me a little bit about, from a football and a business leadership standpoint, 
When do you know that a player like Patrick Mahomes is a long-term franchise player? And, and do you take that organizational culture piece into an account when you're, when you're advancing a player like Patrick Mahomes? Well, I think the organizational culture piece is important. And, and we approach that from the standpoint of we need to create a culture here the foundation of a culture that you can plug and play new players into, whether it's through the draft or through free agency, and you can lift them up and, and you can create a system that will maximize their abilities to be successful on and off the field. And we really stress that from day one, from their first meeting here, that it's, it's about what you do on the football field. It's also about how you live off the field and how you're an important aspect or an important uh, person within this community. Um, I think, Fred Veach and Coach Reed and the, the scouting staff, um, you know, they're the ones who get the credit for finding the players and, and evaluating the players and bringing them in. Um, and, you know, even they would admit that you draft, you move up to the, the 10th slot to draft a guy like Patrick Mahomes. If you go back and, and look at the comments that day on, on the move we made, there were a lot of criticisms of that. Mm. And, and they would admit that, you know, they had a good feel. They had a, they had a hope, but they can't, sit here today and say that they knew exactly what Patrick was going to be. Part of it was just, you know, looking and projecting. And, um, and Patrick came into a really good system, a really good structure, a, I believe a really good culture to maximize his success on the field and off the field. He saw through other leaders how you could have an impact off the field as well. And, uh, and he's really done a good job with that. Um, you know, Patrick has been from day one an impactful person in our organization. But I think there are a lot of great stories of other players, too. If you look at Tyron Matthew, you know, he came into this building and, and I remember talking to some of our scouting staff, some of our coaches, and they said, you could feel he was in the building. Mm -hmm. like he has a presence and he has this leadership ability to just take guys and through challenging them and through loving them and through showing them to really make them better. And in the process, make us better. I have a great I story about Frank. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a great story about Frank Clark, who yeah. you know, came to us from the Seattle CX, the free agent. And, you know, Frank is an interesting guy with a really interesting background. I mean, he's, he lived a portion of his life on, on a city bus. He, he was on Skid Row. Um, he was homeless for most of his life. Um, and, and his respect and his his appreciation for what he's been able to achieve and the position he's been able to put himself in. And then his, his constant giving back to those people who are, are challenged like he was as a young boy. You know, you hear all those stories, but you don't hear the stories about the person and his understanding of culture. He walked in here his very first day after signing a, a record-breaking contract. Um, so he's at the top of his game. He's, he's established himself and his family for their lives. Um, financially. And he was here the first day and we're going to take him through all the press and all the introductions to coaches and show him around the building. And we were done for the day and we said, okay, Frank, we're going to take you back to the hotel and then we'll meet you for dinner. And he just looked at the person who was taking him around and said, hold on, I want to meet everybody. And, you know, the person there said, well, you've met coach and you've met GM, you've met trainer and you've met other players. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're walking around this building. And I'm saying hello to every single employee. Mm -hmm. And Frank Clark literally walked into every single office in the building, the accountants, the ticket sellers, the marketing people, the operations people. And he said, hi, I'm Frank Clark, and I'm proud to be on your team. 
can you imagine the impact that has? Talk about leadership. Yeah, that's right. huge. That's that's the kind of person you want in your building. Yeah, and I know a lot of times um, the quarterbacks get the press as being the team leaders, but I've also heard stories about times where you know it's the kicker, it's somebody who's not even on the field as often, who's actually the team leader, who's really the one who's kind of behind the scenes driving the team. What role do you have as president of the organization? I, I know that Andy Reid and the, the coaching staff has a huge role in this, but as president of the Chiefs organization, what role do you have in helping to lift up or select or to promote which one of those players is going to be the leader of the team? Yeah, most of that happens naturally, right? I don't believe you can fake leadership. I don't believe you can you know, have a great system and then implement something, um, especially in our culture, in the locker room and what we do on the field. You, you've got to be a, a high performer um, to earn the opportunity to take a leadership role. You mentioned Coach Reed. You know, he's done – I've been together with Coach for almost all of my 20 years in the NFL, either Philadelphia or here. And he does a great job, and he always has, of creating a leadership council made up of players from every – race, every demographic background, guys who've gone to the greatest schools in the country, guys who've gone to the smallest schools in the country. And, and he, he creates this group that really acts as the eyes and ears within the building. So players know and coaches know that these are the guys who you can go to and say, hey, something's up. We got to make sure we keep an eye on this guy or we got to, this doesn't seem right to us. Can we address it? Um, and that leadership group is made up of quarterback, tight end, tackle, lineman, defensive lineman, safety, um, kicker, um, all those positions are part of that group. And then they become this representation for the building. Um, and I think that's a key aspect to it is like knowing and empowering those people to know that they're, they're a big, big part of this and, and we need their input. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that although you can't just single out leaders, I don't you agree though, that leaderships can be cultivated or that as you coach, that you can develop leadership characteristics in, in most people. And, and how do you, how do you do that on your team? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think that that goes back to your culture question earlier. Mm -hmm. you, if you create the right culture and create the right foundation um, and support people to act authentically, uh, when I say I don't think you can like force it, you know, mm -hmm. we've had great players in our locker room who just aren't natural leaders. Like, they're great players. And part of being a good leader is understanding that, whether that's yeah. coach understanding that there are certain guys who are just more comfortable being a great player and they need someone else to take that leadership role. Right. But that same right. player needs to see by example that great, that great leader is out in the community just because you don't want to be a leader in the locker room and you're a great player, you can still have a huge impact in, in our community. And that's important. Um, so creating that culture, creating that foundation and empowering it, right? I mean, you, you got to empower it. You got to support it and you got to be authentic with it, but you really have to show your players, your coaches, others that we want you to be this way. And that's what I say when I mentioned earlier that day one coach player, our business staff, we talk about, it's a responsibility in this town that because of your platform, because of your position, you'd be active. Yeah, and they have a huge platform. And I, I think about particularly the NFL players who put out a video calling for the NFL to do three things, to condemn racism and systemic oppression, 
to admit fault in silencing players from peaceful protest, and then to state its belief that Black Lives Matter. And I know that Patrick Mahomes, but not only him, a number of other team members um, have really advocated for the Black Lives Matter movement, have been very active in these times when we absolutely, I hope all agree that we need to continue to make progress forward personally as well as culturally. Um, so here's my question. As the president of the Chiefs organization, and as we think about leadership and culture, like we've been talking about, has the organization taken a stance on Mahomes' comments and participation, other players, and Black Lives Matter movement in particular, or will you moving forward? Yeah, let's talk about that specific example, the video that came out from our players uh, across the league, and Tyron and Patrick were both uh, significant contributors to that. Um, I'll just share exactly what happened internally as, as that sort of played out. Um, I believe it was a Friday night, um, but we were, you know, it came out late in the afternoon, evening, maybe even that night. Uh, I just remember sitting, um, getting a text from a member of our communications team saying, hey, you should see this. Uh, I looked at the video and was really moved by it, um, the power of that video and the statements that were being made. Um, and my first response was, we've got to, we got to do something. We got to acknowledge this. We got to support this and we got to support our players. And there were three other people involved in this conversation. Ryan Petkoff, who works closely with Clark in Dallas, Ted Cruz, who's our vice president of communications and Clark. And, you know, it's a Friday night. It's in the middle of, you know, everything we're going through COVID and everything else wise. And, so we just got on the phone and we talked about what's the appropriate response. And a couple of things I'm really, really proud of. One was there was complete agreement that we needed to respond and we needed to support quickly. We, we, we couldn't completely you know, get everything absolutely correct. We had to respond now. Uh, and then secondly, our message. And I'm proud of the fact that we were the first team in the National Football League to respond and support that video. And I'm really proud of the message. Because as you can imagine, when, when you're on those calls, you're talking about different ways of responding, different ways of supporting, and you, and you wanna make sure you get it right because you know it's gonna be uh, looked at and evaluated and criticized. And, um, and we just went back to the core, which is we wanna tell our players we love them, we support them, and we're proud of them. We were proud that they stepped out and led. And we want them to feel that so that they they feel truly supported. And, and we're, you know, aware enough to know that when we make a statement like that of, in support and love and pride, that all of our players are going to see that as well. And the hope here is that they're going to feel that, that power too, so that they know that we're supportive of them. And the bigger issues, there are people passionate on all sides of that. And, and we need to respect the fact that you can be passionate on all sides of that. Um, but we're also going to be supportive of our players and supportive of the positions and the things that authentically we think need to be addressed in this country. Do you feel like the deliberation process about how to respond to Black Lives Matter and to the video that the players have put out, um, was the deliberative process different? Then say with other players who had taken silent protests in 2017 or in other places, um, 
Do you feel like there had been some culture evolution or was this totally different? Give me a little bit more insight into how the decision-making process as a leader shifted or did it remain the same since those early days? Because it was a pretty significant difference, both from the NFL commissioner and from local local franchises. It feels like there's been a pretty significant shift in response. But there's also, as you said, this massive polarization in the community, rightly or wrongly, on either side. Um, now is a time where I feel like we, we are compelled to act and we can't stay silent on things. Tell me about how maybe your thought process or the leadership of the team, how their thought process has evolved since 2017 or before. Well, first, I think we all have to acknowledge that the world is a lot different than it was in 2017. And I go back to the pride I have in, in that process that we went through that night. And you know, the quick decision-making, the foundational belief that we needed to get a message out that was on those three points that we're proud and we love and we support. And, um, you know, part of that strategy behind those words was that's something that we should be doing across all of our decisions. Right. Uh, and this is this is personal to me. Um, but I, I'm a big, big believer that love conquers all. And we're going to have our differences and. You know, I, I think of the family structure, right? I mean, every family has uh, differences of opinions. Um, our locker room is a big family. And you know, we have people on all sides of all these issues. And, um, and we've got to be supportive and respectful of all of those sides. So to your question on, you know, is it different? Yeah, I think the world's different. Yeah. Um, to the question on you know how you responded and what you respond, I think we're doing our very best to to stay true to those tenets of you know be supportive, be respectful, and show love. I mean, I think leaders of organizations, big and small, are in a really um, important and yet very difficult position because if you put out a statement that's just a statement that comes across as pithy or formulated or canned. Um, you get, um, you know, criticized there because you have a voice and you can do more. But then again, if you don't say enough and you get to the place where um, players or others within the organization feel like they aren't being loved, it's a difficult balance. And I, and I think that as time goes on, we're going to see leaders like yourself um, evolve in their decision-making process and the way that we listen to the community or, or listen to the various constituencies that are out there. And gosh, I don't know that in my short 43 years of life that I've ever seen a time in my life that's as polarizing as we're in right now. And I think it's a very difficult time for leaders to lead well, but also to lead boldly. And, and so um, any effort that we can make in that direction, I think is important. And and I do think it all starts with love, you know, respecting the dignity and the personhood of each person that we encounter, whether they're in the stands or on the team or somebody who's watching on TV. I'm going to ask you about another difficult conversation that's going on that's related. And, and, and really, it's timely because the NFL, uh, in particular, the team in Washington has really faced 
difficult scrutiny about um, racism and about the use of its former name. And the chiefs have come under that same criticism. This isn't this isn't new. Uh, the chiefs' name and the the game day uh, practices and and things that are used. And you've stated, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, that you feel that the organization is in a very different situation. Than, than Washington and its team. And you've also talked about some of those game day traditions and things that you've attempted to do um, as an organization to try to uh, build relationship and to have respect for the Native American community. For example, I remember you telling me the story about um, before the season begins, blessing the large war drum. But there have also been times in the past, I can remember in the 90s when the Chiefs um, tried to get rid of the tomahawk chop, uh, chop that's very prevalent in all of the games. And the decision was made, but then pretty quickly reversed because of negative pushback from, from fans and others. So, you know, in this season, I guess what I want to know is we could spend an entire four hours talking about this particular issue. But what I want to focus on here is how do you as a leader personally evaluate those tough social leadership issues? Is there a matrix that you're walking through? How are you listening to the various communities? And how do you go about making those tough decisions as the president of the organization? Well, I, I'd use two words to answer that question. The first would be balance and trying to have a balance. Uh, all of these issues are controversial. Um, and you, you want to be balanced in your response, in your actions. Secondly, a word that I used previously on this call when talking about the challenges and of leadership and what, what's changed, listening. Uh, just, you know, in this context, as it relates to American Indians and our, our past as a franchise and our future, um, that listening evolves into a listening that's focused on education and making sure that we as an organization are educated. Um, I've said publicly, you know, there was some embarrassment for me personally that I wasn't aware of what some of the things that we were doing as a franchise meant to American Indians. Um, it, we went into the case of our drum with the objective of finding things that were part of the municipal stadium experience and bringing them to the new Arrowhead through our renovation from 2008 to 2010. And the drum was one of those things that we found and thought naively that this is a great fan engagement piece. If you look at the black and white video of you know, the players coming down through the stands municipal, our cheerleaders would bang on this drum and the fans knew that it was the beginning of the game. Um, so we did that innocently and naively, to be frank. Um, so when you when you understand that it does have a sacred, the drum itself has a sacred position in the American Indian culture, you know, you and I can talk about that. But what we wanted to know is from the American Indians, educate us authentically, and and they did. And as I said, it was embarrassing not to know that. Um, but it quickly turned to, okay, now we're educated. What are our options? What can we do? And we were educated and directed by American Indians. Here's what you can do. And that's, that's the reason we blessed the drum. And that's why we 
um, continue to do the blessing of the four directions, why we incorporate true authentic American Indians into our pregame festivities. And that's gonna continue to evolve. Uh, we know that. Um, we, we've had a great working group here uh, representing a number of different tribes of the region who have educated us and we've expanded to a national group um, that represents almost 500 tribes nationally. And, and it sticks with those core principles of make sure you're finding a balance and make sure that you are truly educating yourself on, on exactly what these things mean and what you should and shouldn't do. You know, I just finished with that evolved into um, a strict enforcement this year of the war bonnet and face paint. Um, and, and I think one of the really beneficial things when you think about taking this approach is we've been working with this group for seven years. This is not a new issue for us. Right. But that seven years of education, that seven years of relationship building is really paying dividends now because we can sit down at the table and say, okay, you understand our respect. You understand that we're trying to do things that are authentic and we're trying to be balanced. What are the things we can do? And, you know, we, we just both sides, both agreed that, while we had educated people on the importance of respecting the war bonnet headdress and, and face paint, we hadn't done enough to enforce it. So this year we're gonna strictly enforce that, you know, mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to get into our games with those things because they are disrespectful and, and there isn't an argument against that. Um, yeah. And that, that's sort of where we are. Well, and those of us who aren't of Native American origin don't have the the right to necessarily say whether or not we're offended, right? And I think that that's one of the things that when you're talking about being balanced, it's it's not our decision to decide what's offensive for whom. But balance is also a difficult thing because, you know, I can remember hearkening back to the days with Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in a Birmingham jail, there were white moderate clergy who were writing to him saying, hey man, slow down, we've got to take a balanced approach. And, and balance, is is a double-sided sword, right? I mean, we need the virtue of balance. We need the virtue of finding that narrow way through the middle where we can we can work for reconciliation, where we can bring all perspectives together and you know extract things from both sides that are precious and valuable. Balance can also be something that is difficult, especially as a leader, because you want to move faster on something or you want to respond to an issue, but you feel such pressure to remain balanced. And I just I want to acknowledge that because I face that as a leader. Obviously, our work here in Kansas City is all about racial and economic reconciliation. And I hear it from both sides, all all different sides saying to me, you're being too much this or not enough this. And it it is for me. The, the narrow way is listening to the voices of, in particular, uh, particularly the 80% of our uh, very low income clients who are men and women of color and understanding what their lived experience is and trying to advocate for that and, and trying to shift the scales of balance in a sense towards true reconciliation. And I know our time is drawing short, but I, I, I don't wanna leave without asking this question to you. What do you think that your role is personally as a leader in creating not just a culture for the organization, but how do you use your platform to advance a, a more inclusive or culturally humble uh, society or community culture? Do you have a role in that? Or do you think about that when, when you make these larger decisions? Oh, well, there's so many ways to answer that question. I'd, I'd start with um, understanding your role and. I, I talk to our senior team about this a lot. 
know that a lot of eyes are on you at all times and how you act and how you react are going to be looked at from a modeling standpoint. So you've got to be aware of that. I talk about awareness a lot, almost wearing our folks out. Um, just always be aware, right? Um, and I think you got to be, you got to live authentically. You know, I, we really encourage our team to be in the community, the things that they want to support and the, and the, the efforts they want to make. We, we don't want to force someone to serve on a board for a charity or an organization they don't believe in, but we do want them to find, tell us, communicate with us, hey, this is really important to me and how can we support you in that, in that place? So, um, that's another message I talk about a lot. You know, the other thing I think sometimes gets um, maybe underserved or not not acknowledged enough is um, I find this a lot with people in the community, leaders, business executives, especially as they're sort of rising up the ranks, to understand the impact you can have. Mm. I feel like so many people are out there discounting how they can be impactful and what I try to do is encourage it through my own actions. And, you know, my wife and I have been involved with City Year Kansas City for uh, since their beginning here in Kansas City. And, and we see that a lot personally. That, and it's just the little things. It's, it is the big things. It, it's clearly the big things. And using this platform that we have, which is a blessing, the National Football League and the Kansas City Chiefs are massively powerful. Um, and how do you use that for good? How do you use that for impact? Um, but also don't don't just hide behind or figure that you're well, I'm a member of the chief, so that they'll do that. We need you too, and especially as you're ascending to to understand that you're you can have a huge impact on this community. And the little things are not little things. Um, you know, we do a lot with the students and the teachers of Kansas City Public Schools. Um, but we also do a lot with the city core or the uh, the city or AmeriCorps members, the team members, these young women, men and women who are 18 to 25 and give a year of their life to this city, um, mm -hmm. serve our students and just making sure that they have a good experience. Like that, that's a little thing, but it has huge impact. So I, I hope that people know and take away that, you know, every thing matters and every effort matters and don't discount the impact that you can have individually. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And this whole podcast is aimed at that idea of no matter what sector you in, you're in or whatever leadership lane that you're in, you can do more than write a check or serve just on a board. Those things are an important part of social leadership. But how do we bake those social priorities into the cake? How do we make it something that we can operationalize and then activate in our own leadership and in our teams? So as we kind of wrap up, um, and again, thank you so much for this time. I, I want to ask you if you would leave us with two or three suggestions, things that you use personally, two or three ways that we who are striving to be social leaders can learn to lead with greater social impact. What advice would you give those who are listening? Well, I'll, um, I'll try to keep this brief. I, I've always aspired to be, and I think I'm trending towards uh, being a servant leader. I, I'm a big believer in their stages of leadership. You know, there's a certain point in your career when you should be leading by effort and trying to sort of earn your credits and give yourself more opportunities. And I think there is a point in your leadership career that um, you've got to really convert to being more servant oriented and more understanding that part of your role here is to lift others up. Um, so 
that's a big one for me. I, I just believe that that's a, I struggle with it. it. It's hard to turn that corner to not being the one doing and being the one delegating, but empowering and rewarding uh, for those people. And then and I struggle with this one too, to this day, uh, but I've mentioned it a number of times on this, this discussion. The best leaders I, that I've been around are the best listeners. You know, it, it's so easy to be in a leadership role and we fall in this trap of, well, I'm a leader, so everyone's looking to me for the answers. And it's so easy to just give the answers. It's really hard to listen. And it's really hard to listen to all the people around you and they may have better answers. They may need the opportunity to give direction as opposed to waiting for you as a leader to give direction. And I think that applies across the board, whether it's how to be a, a successful business or how to have a successful impact on the social uh, structure of our city, our town, our region. Um, so those are the two big ones that I would focus on. I appreciate you leaving us with those good words of advice. And certainly we um, who are in leadership, that active listening piece that you talk about, especially right now, given the civil unrest, given the election season that we're in, giving every, you know, everything that's going on with the pandemic, if there's anything that we need to be doing, I think it's really listening to one another and really trying to understand the lived experience. So I I'm really grateful that you highlight that. Before we go, uh, I know that you told me that the Chiefs have a big push right now to get out the vote. I've put that uh, link up there, chiefs.com forward slash vote. Anything that you want to share about that? Uh, just, you know, we talk a lot. We talked a lot today about things we were doing, things our players are doing. Um, just understanding the power of your vote and the power of the, your voice. And um, we're trying to create avenues and ways to make it easier, simpler, more efficient for people to register to vote and for people to actually vote. So that'll culminate in a registration site on our website where you can actually go to our website and register. Um, and it'll also culminate, we're hopeful, right now we're working through the final details uh, of having Arrowhead Stadium serve as a polling location so people can actually oh, wow. vote here on November 3rd. Wow, well, thank you for that. Thank you for your leadership in the community. Um, thank you for the time that you've spent with us on the podcast today. Thank you for your social leadership. I know you from watching you in various uh, different venues, from the chamber to our personal conversations, that your heart actually is wow. for social leadership, that you are somebody who is wanting to work hard to integrate your social priorities, not only with your family at City Year, but also within the NFL to advance the common good. And so thank you so much for your time and for your leadership in the community, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Well, hang with me real quick while we wrap up. And friends, uh, I really appreciate you joining me again for another episode of the Social Leader Podcast. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you would go to wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that like button, hit that share button, I want to make sure that we can get the message about social leadership out to everyone we possibly can. Every leader that we bring on this podcast, whether it's from business, faith, philanthropy, sports, everybody has something to contribute. And I try to bring on leaders who are not just talking, but who are actually doing the hard work of operationalizing their priorities as best that they can. So again, please hit that like button, hit the little bell button on YouTube and help us share this out. And lastly, if you want to learn to be a social leader, and if you want to learn to lead with greater social impact, 
I am super excited to tell you that finally we have launched the Social Leader Essentials eCourse. You can go to thesocialleader.org and you can register for that eCourse today. It is on sale right now. You can learn the three essential skills of social leadership so that you can take up leadership in your own lane and learn to make a greater difference in your community and in our world. Go to thesocialleader.org today. Check it out, and I hope you'll join us. Once again, thank you to my guest, Mark Donovan, the president of the Chiefs. Go Chiefs this Thursday. I'm super excited for the beginning of the season. And until next time on the Social Leader Podcast, learn to lead with greater social impact. Thanks. Thanks.